Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by knowledge. By faith. Just by faith. Just trusting that God is going to do something that I don't understand. We tend to assume that salvation has to be more uh, complicated than just trusting in God when it doesn't make sense to us. Right? We want salvation to be complicated. But the fact of the matter is, it's this simple. We believe that Jesus is God's one and only sinless son. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. We believe that Jesus died in our place for our sins and that his blood washes away our sins. We believe that because of the we believe that because of the work of Jesus, we can come boldly into the throne room of our creator and not suffer judgment like these people in the story we're about to look at. We believe that we stand that we can stand before God not only only forgiven, but we believe that we can stand before God purchased into his family. That's crazy. God's salvation is beyond our ability to completely comprehend. Why would an ever-loving, completely holy God take his time for you? There was a time that he had decided not to. There was a time he had made the ultimate decision to get rid of all of it. God's salvation in you makes you his most valuable, most extraordinary, his most extravagant masterpiece. It's crazy, isn't it? I think it's Ephesians 2, 10, 2, 9, somewhere in there. We're God's masterpiece. Just look around. This is God's masterpiece. Yeah, God's salvation is unreasonably marvelous. You understand what I'm saying? God's salvation is unreasonably marvelous. It is as unreasonably, as unreasonably marvelous as a boat and a flood when there had never been either, right? Here we go, uh, number four. God's judgment. Oh, we're doing good. I was worried. You guys have 18 pages of notes, and I had no idea how fast this was going to go this morning, but a lot of it's text. And so here we go. Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. I'm just carrying on in the story from the scriptures. God's judgment. That that was all fun and games. It changes now. When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Noah, go into the boat with all your family, because that's how God sounds in case you didn't know. Go into the boat with all your family, for among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice, and, one, and take one pair of each of the others. A little, a little Bible trivia. Did you realize that there was uh, somewhere in pairs and there was seven pairs of some, some animals? Yeah. Yeah, because they're clean. Seven pairs of the clean animals, one pair of the, of the unclean animals. So there were seven pairs of sheep. There's only one pair of rabbits. I don't know why y'all thought that was so funny. 
Verse three, also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. God has a plan. Verse four, seven days from now, I will make the rains pour down on the earth and it will rain for 40 days and 40 nights until I have, until I have wiped from the earth all the living things that I have created. Verse five, so Noah did everything as the Lord commanded him. Do you get the sense of final judgment here? God says over and over, over, I'm going to destroy it all. Yeah, but what about the cute, cuddly little squirrels? They haven't done anything wrong. God says, no, I'm going to get rid of it all. What about, what about all the plants? They haven't done anything that bad. Come on, God. God says, no, I am getting rid of all living things. Done. Verse 6. Noah was 600 years old. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> There's all kinds of jokes there. Noah was 600 years old when the flood covered the earth. He went on board the boat to escape the flood, he and his wife and his sons and their wives. With them were all the various kinds of animals, those approved for eating and for sacrifice and those were that were not, along, all, along with all the birds and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 9, they entered the boat in pairs, male and female, just as God had commanded Noah. After seven days, the, water of, the waters of the flood came and covered the earth. Are you picturing this in your head? We've got all the animals on board, got all the family on board. Water comes down, covers the earth. Verse 11, when Noah was 600 years old on the seventh day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and nights. So you get the picture of water, rain falling from the sky and then from the earth, the earth opens up and water comes gushing out of the ground and it's not good. Verse 13, that very day Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jacob and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with the birds of, the birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. Every living thing that breathes on this earth had been put onto the boat. The only things that were continuing to, that's a better way of saying it. He didn't take all of life and put it on the boat. He took a select section of living beings and put them on the boat. The only things that were living on this planet were on Noah's boat. Are you with me? A male and a female of every kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. That was always dramatic whenever I was a kid, right? Do you remember hearing the story when you were a little kid? Noah and his family, they get on board the ark and all the animals come on, on board of the ark and then the rain starts to sprinkle a little bit and all of a sudden the door, it just goes. God shut the door. Some of you have no imagination whatsoever. Verse 17, for 40 days, the floodwaters grew deeper and deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. I'm reading that this morning and I get that feeling, you know, when you lose your stomach over heights, you guys ever sw swam, swum, have swum? <laughs> have you ever been swimming in a really deep lake? 
or out in the ocean and you're, you're in the shallow water and then you come over the ledge and it drops and it's real deep and you lose your stomach? Am I the only one that does that? I mean, you're not actually going to fall over the edge, right? Because you're in the water. You're floating. So all of a sudden, I see, I see the ark way high above the earth floating in the water. You know Noah's got to be looking over the edge going, man, I hope that this boat was built correctly. I hope God's instructions are good. Oh, oh, that'll preach. I have no idea where I'm at in my text. Did we already do verse 17? For 40 days and night, safely float on the surface. Verse 19, here we go. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. Now, I think that we have that detail in there so that we can point out, so that the, the writer here, that God can point out to us that there was no, no building up high so that something could exist. No, we're 22 feet above what we would perceive as Mount Everest, Okay. There, there's nothing is coming up on the mountains and existing. Those people that we painted in the corner of the room, not there anymore. That rock is gone. Okay? Some of you are like, wait, what are we talking about? Water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on earth died. All the living things on earth died. This sermon's kind of a downer, isn't it? Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurried along the ground, and all the people, everything that breathed and lived on dry land died. This is severe. Do you understand? Are you getting a snapshot in your soul of how God does not tolerate the wickedness of mankind? even the wickedness of creation. He doesn't tolerate it. That's why in the beginning I said God is patiently intolerant. Verse 23, God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground and the birds of the sky, all were destroyed. How many times does he tell us that so we get it into our heads? The only people who survived, who survived were Noah and those with him on the boat. And the floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. That's five months. Hope you like your in-laws. <laughs> His God destroyed everything, but then he put you on the boat with your in-laws. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. I have the greatest in-laws in the world. I really do. God completely destroyed everything that was not aboard God's boat. Everything. I'm pausing again because I want you to absorb. This is not a nice children's story. This is God above heaven and earth, the creator of all, saying, you know what? This is a mess and I'm going to throw it away. I can do better. This is not worth saving this is a disaster, this is wickedness, this is evil. This is you put the enchiladas in the oven and you burned them till they were crispy and unedible and the only thing to do with them is to put them in the trash. See, y'all thought I was gonna make this whole sermon without talking about food. 
worth nothing, not worth anything. That's where we're at in the storyline of humanity and creation. God says, I'm done. This is no good. This actually stands in opposition to the character and nature of God. God is completely just in exacting judgment in this situation. God is completely just because I know that for some of us, we like people or we like animals and we're like, God killed the little bunnies too? Oh, he's a horrible God. No, punishing sin does not make God a bad God. God is completely just in exacting judgment. And if God had decided to say, you know what, Noah's not enough for me to save the world. I'm just gonna get rid of it all and I can start all over again. He would have been just to do that as well because he is God, not you, okay? So punishing sin does not make God a bad God. God was severe, God was final, and that is who God is. That's what we learn from the story. As we look at the story, we need to be clear about who God is. We don't get to stand in judgment of the nature of God. The flood was fair. Well, I don't think it was fair. You don't get to decide what is fair. People should be given, uh, those people should have been given another chance. They should have been given another chance to come to repentance. God did what he did. His judgment is fair. Well, why would, God, why would God destroy all the animals? I don't know. You'll have to ask him. Here's the deal. God opposes sin. Are you with me? All the time? Yes. Well, what about sometimes when it's acute sin? All the time, God opposes sin. God punishes. What we see in this text today is that God punishes evil. There are no excuses and there are no free passes. That is who God is. He's very absolute in his intolerance for sin and wickedness and evil. I referred over and over in the, our series in Proverbs to uh, chapter one, verse seven. It says, I'm, I'm rephrasing it. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom is knowing that God can and that God has wiped everything except a little boat and its contents off this little blue planet because of sin. Does God react to sin? Oh, you better believe he reacts to sin. And it's not in a good way. God has the right to judge sin. And he does judge sin. And he judges sin incredibly harshly. We'll get over to Romans one of these days where it says that the wages of sin is death. And that's what we're seeing in this story. Sin is introduced into the human equation and then people die because God's not gonna put up with it. First, uh, number five, God's promise. Brent, we need a little hope here. All right, chapter eight, six, seven, eight. Now we have eight and nine, we're gonna get there. But God remembered Noah. Oh, that makes your heart feel happy, huh? God's on, here's Noah's been on this ark with all the smelly animals with his three sons. I'll bet you their wives were nice. Uh, he's there with, uh, 
I don't know. I, I have lots of thoughts about this whole thing. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him on the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the, the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. About uh, after 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountain, mountains of Ararat. Two and a half months later, talk about delayed satisfaction, like the boat stopped. We can get off. Eh, two and a half months later, as the waters continue to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. Okay? Picturing what's going on? Water's going down. They're looking across the landscape. They're finally seeing some mountains poke through the top of the, the water. Verse 6, after another 40 days, Noah opened the window that they all along have been saying, hey, Noah, why did you cut a hole in the wall here? And then you had to put a shutter on it. You're a goober. He's like, I don't know. God told me to do that. Now Noah opened the window. All of a sudden it has a purpose. He had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters of the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded and it could, and, and, it could find dry ground. But the dove could find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat and Noah held out his hand and drew it back into, drew the dove back inside the boat. Got it? So he let the dove go. No place to land. Comes back. Verse 10. After waiting another seven days, it's like a forever sermon, huh? After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew that the floodwaters were almost gone. He waited another seven days and then released the dove again. This time it did not come back. Verse 13, Noah was now a thousand years old. <laughs> Noah was now 601 years old on the first. Some of you weren't reading and following along with me. You're like, wait, what? How? I lost time there. Where? Noah, how? 400 years? Noah was now 601 years old on the first day of the new year, 10 and a half months after the flood began. The floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by and at last the earth was dry. Twelve and a half months if you're doing the math there. That's close quarters. Verse 15, then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wives and your sons and, your, your, and their wives, release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so that they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. We kind of have this creation restart again, right? That's what God told them back at the beginning of, of uh, Genesis. So, verse 18, Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat and all of the large and small animals and the birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Yeah, if God brings you through 12 and a half months of being in a boat, you're going to worship afterwards. We thought three or four months was bad. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, 
Self? <laughs> Bad joke there. Anyway, God said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Listen carefully to what's happening here. Because what we set up in the first part is God resists evil. Okay? So now he says to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. God promised, he makes a promise to himself that he will never again curse the ground and, desert, and destroy all living things. He's kind of painting himself into a corner because his nature resists wickedness. But now he says, I'm not going to destroy people. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the, the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on the earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. God makes the promise to himself. Then he makes the promise to Noah and his sons and their daughters. God's promise to man and creation. Verse 12, then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come, for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. Verse 16. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, God is still talking. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I'm confirming with all the creatures of the earth. Now follow me carefully. God made a promise to all creation that he would not destroy humanity and every living creature with a flood again in spite of their continued wickedness. God made that promise in spite of continued wickedness. God knew that humanity would continue in sin. Yet he says, I'm not going to destroy you a second time. This promise carries with it an incredible price. God's promise doesn't mean that he'll just tolerate man's sinfulness. Because I kind of think that's what we've done with the story in modern times. God's going to put up with our sinfulness. It's no big deal. God's promise doesn't mean he will tolerate man's sinfulness. God's promise to himself and to you and I and all generations that follow requires that God provide a way of salvation. There has to be a way for there to be a forgiveness of sin, not a tolerance of sin, a forgiveness of sin. 
Instead of God's complete destruction of sin, he promises to come up with a plan for for salvation of mankind. God needs a Noah of sorts, a righteous man. God needs a plan for a boat of sorts. He needs a righteous man who can provide safety for those who are not worthy of God's salvation. Hmm. But he needs a Noah with eternal life, not a Noah who's gonna die in a few hundred years, right? God needs a plan for salvation that is available to all of mankind, not limited to the square footage on a ship. God needs a righteous man. He needs a bigger boat. He needs somebody who who has eternal life and a salvation that is available to all of humanity. God has made you and I a promise that we can put our faith into. God has made a promise to us that that we can be saved. Yeah. God has made access to a right relationship so that we can walk in fellowship with God like Adam and Eve did, like Noah did. God has made access to a right relationship possible. He does not ignore our sin. Are you with me? He doesn't ignore our sin. He sent the one and only eternally righteous one to receive our penalty for our sin. Because a while ago, you finished the verse, the wages of sin is someone had to die for your sins. And it wasn't Noah, but God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die in your place. Does God just just tolerate your sin? No, he pays for the sacrifice for your sin to be washed away. Because before, you were the burnt enchiladas that needed to go into the trash can. You were good for nothing. You were the evil and the wickedness that God said, I regret this. And then he said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do the most glorious thing I could ever do. I'm going to take what was burnt and broken, disastrous, vile, wicked, and evil, and I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to take a vessel that was meant for the trash can, and I'm going to turn it into a golden vessel that's fit for use on the table of God's kingdom. (laughs) And then he takes that golden vessel and he signs his name on the bottom of it. I'm totally lost in my notes. With every rainbow in the sky, God reminds you and I that he has promised us salvation from the penalty of sin. It is a promise promise that demonstrates his glory, not ours. It demonstrates his glory to redeem a completely wicked people. Every time we see a rainbow, we should be reminded not only has God pronounced judgment on creation, there's the flood. But he has also given us a promise for his glory, the promise of wonderful, mysterious, and miraculous salvation. It's incredible, isn't it? Noah's story of his family is the story of God's judgment and his resistance of evil and sin. We have to remember that. But we balance that with Noah's ark. 
that God has a plan for salvation that is totally beyond our ability. Let's stand together and pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dismiss you four minutes early, which means next week I'm going to preach for about an hour and a half. Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself in the story of the flood and Noah's ark. Lord, we thank you that you have sent a righteous one, that you have sent one that we can put our faith in that will give us eternal life and eternal salvation, who will die in our place, who has died in our place and paid the penalty for our sins so that this morning we can gather together as the body of Christ and we can stand in your throne room without fear, but we can come boldly before your throne and we can say, Lord, give your people strength, give your people peace, shine your glory in us and through us so a lost world will know you. We don't have to come fearfully before you because you have already given us the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ and we have this wonderful, mysterious, and glorious salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your work in our hearts. Thank you that we get to be your masterpiece that was brought from the ashes, that was brought from the penalty of sin to be your wonderful work of art. Father, we are so grateful that you're at work in our lives. Father, I pray that you continue to keep us humble as you shine your glory through us. Father, I pray that you will make every one of us like a light that is in a room that begin, brings light to the, to the world around us. Make us like a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden as your glory shines through us. Don't, don't let evil shine through us, Father, but transform us so that your glory shines through us and that the world will see you in us and they will be drawn to, to your glory. Father, we just love you and we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You have been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on Main Street in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.